Welcome to Recovery Uncovered, your all things recovery podcast. Recovery Uncovered is produced by MHAB Enterprises, a division of the Northeast Group of Companies located right here in Plattsburgh, New York. I'm your host, Mike Carpenter. Affectionately known as MHAB Mike. And I'm your co-host, Betsy Vicencio. Affectionately known as BV the Normie. We have one goal in these podcasts, and that's not to suck. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, everybody. I'm Mike Carpenter, affectionately known as MHAB Mike. MHAB Mike. <laughs> sidekick, Betsy Vicenzio. Good morning. How do I feel about you today? Are we good? I think we're good. I tell you what, you were, were you good on, to you, me yesterday. I was so uh, good to you. You were on the cusp a couple of days ago of hating me again, but you've come. You've quickly. I know. I don't know back. what you did either. You pissed me off somehow, I but know. I think we're. I think we're good now. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to another day in my I life. I think we're back to good. So <laughs> we've had, we. I think we've sure. produced nine of these. Five of them are up. Um, We hope you're enjoying the five, a few more to come. We have one today uh, that's a delicate subject. And and although we have a lot of fun in this podcast and we laugh and we try to be informative, uh, this is a serious issue and and it's gut-wrenching. And our guest today is somebody that I've known for many, many years. He actually worked for the Northeast Group for uh, a number of years. And, And I say this to still our staff that works for us, I say nobody, bar none is better than Ed Kirby at setting up a line, a work line. And I go back to the days when we did the Pokemon things with that machine and you set that up and, and uh, you, you just, you have a knack for doing it better than anybody that I've ever worked with. Um, and that's obviously not why we're here. Our guest today is Ed Kirby. And Ed Kirby, as I said, I've known for many, many years. And Ed is one of the many parents in the United States of America that has dealt with the death of a child from an opiate overdose um, that started in a way that I think is really profound, and and he'll certainly tell you that story, but it started in a way where his child wasn't the typical um, drug addict. His child was a kid who got hurt and wound up on opiates, and uh, it's a worthy story. I think I've heard you say it probably 15 times. Brings tears to my eyes every time you tell it. You have a, a, a knack for doing it. Um, so we're going to probe into that a little bit and, and talk about it and, and maybe have some laughs, but try to get some serious info out. So thank you for coming, Ed. We're happy you're here. Well, thanks for having me. You've watched every podcast? I have watched every podcast. That's awesome. Wow. So, see, he's also a follower, so, so. we need to make sure that you know, we have him <laughs> Wait, be a follower. Wait, I think he's a fan. He's a fan, right? <laughs> he's a fan. <laughs> yeah, that's what he does. He's, he's has Anne watched every one, too? Uh, no, she has not. <laughs> She doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't She's like us as much. She's the smart one in the family. <laughs> so, and I think you also sit on the board at Champlain Valley. Is that right? Uh, on the advisory board. Uh, the yep. advisory board at Champlain, Champlain Valley. Champlain Valley Family, family s- Center. Family yeah. Center, right? So, I, I Which think is our, one of our local agencies yeah. that deals in or deals in that works in the uh, the addiction, addiction and field. recovery services business. So, yeah. I, I think probably what I'd like to start with that is is you know, maybe tell us just a little bit about, you know, how you got here and, and kind of what happened and, and you know, your, a little bit about your son and, and those kinds of things. So we'll give you the floor for a few minutes and then we may just throw some questions at you or interject. But, uh, you know, tell us a little about how, you know, the events of six years ago kind of unfolded and how you got there. Okay. Uh, as far as events-wise, uh, from six years ago, what, what was the onset I think onset even, of it? even beforehand, uh, you're, you know, my, my recollection of your story is that your son was a pretty normal, well-adjusted kid. You were a pretty good father who was involved in his life. 
um, you know, let's let's kind of paint the picture sure. for people that every kid who dies of this illness doesn't come from a dysfunctional family, or I mean, I guess we're all dysfunctional on some level, some but doesn't come from a family where there's not love and there's not, you know, all the things that go on. I mean, you were intimately involved with your children. I was. Uh, Kyle was uh, my boys. I wanted to give them the best they could, so I, I sent them to Seton. At that time, I felt Seton was the uh, the best school, private school for them. Uh, so they had the uh, the Catholic education. Very athletic, uh, both my boys. Uh, you know, it's it wasn't video games. It was it was sports. Everything was about sports. Uh, Kyle excelled in 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 basketball. He was a, he was a yeah, really really good player. And I'm not just saying that because of my son. He's it doesn't he was matter. Even if he was yeah, really bad, player, so. you're going to tell us he was really good. So, that's, uh. well, so he's, a good, he's a good player. Well, Kyle was in that era where there was a really good boys group of boys, boy athletes, male athletes. Absolutely. And uh, and so and they really that that one small contingent of them really excelled in. It is. You see that you know, from time soccer, to time. Soccer, basketball, right. baseball. They just have they have some natural kind of. Uh, Synergies. When you look at the national, the the, uh, the local athletes, you do see that. You see groups of. This year, you've got a dozen that are just excel, yeah. and next year you have one or two. And, right. and and you're right. You've got those areas where there's. And this was a this was a time that there was a lot of good athletes in that yeah, you know was. in that group. Uh, so we're lucky for that. He was a uh, well-adjusted kid. A lot of friends. A lot of. He was up. very popular. Uh, good looking. Uh, Dated a lot, uh, so so very very popular, very popular boy. Yeah. Uh, the experiment, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember receiving a call that uh, there was a party at a pit, and uh, and the Monsignor called me and stated that he was going to be suspended for three days because for somehow he went to the party. I don't know why he was there, but uh, <laughs> he went to the party. And, <laughs> and Kyle was found there, so they uh, they did a three day three day suspension. And Kyle was always up front with me. You know, we'd ask him about it. He goes, yeah, I was drinking, Dad. Yep. Uh, you know, when it came to smoking, yeah, I was smoking, Dad. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that I did find that I think stands out was uh, a lot of times being a single father, boys were home for a couple hours by themselves. And I came home one day, and uh, what it was, there was actually some burnt papers in his trash can. I wasn't sure what it was, uh, so I, I looked, and I just kind of threw something against the wall to see if it was, you know, if, it was, uh, if he was going to admit to it. And I said, boy, I go, is that a joint? And he says, uh, no, Dad, it's not. So I kind of left it. So a little bit later, I, I picked up the paper and I looked and I did see what looked like marijuana in there. It wasn't cigarettes. So, uh, so I confronted him again. And he, he came right out and said it was just him. Wasn't, uh, I had threatened to call the other people that were there, the parents. And, uh, and he goes, no, it was me, Dad. Uh, so I actually, the next day, I made an appointment for him for a uh, for a drug test, and I continued to do that randomly for I don't know quite a quite a few months of uh, just picking him up from school, not telling him, saying uh, we're going for a drug test, and uh, he kept telling me every time you're wasting your time, Dad, and, and I was every time I went that was a it was a negative. So I don't know if I scared him or if it was just maybe it was the wrong thing to do, but for me, I just thought that if I kept knowing that I wasn't there, uh, knowing I was randomly going to do this. There's repercussions if you did something, uh, if you did do this, uh, that Is was on the right Kyle side. the younger of the two? Kyle's the younger the of the young, two. The other one, what's the other, the older boy's name? Neil. Neil, he doesn't, never had a problem or did any of the stuff? No, he's never, uh, no, smoked, drank a little bit. Yep. But, uh, but like we all did now, in so, high school. Uh, but he's more into the, uh, he's a bodybuilder actually, yep. so, uh, so he's out 
bodybuilding, doing whatever he, he does to his body that way. So from your story, you, so I, and I get that you monitored Kyle and you were involved in his life and you did all those things. I, I think what you say is you talk about a cooking accident or something that happened to him yes. when he, in his mid-teens, is, right? So what well, was, was actually a little after, a little after teens, I uh, graduated from high school. Um, and I remember the day well, uh, we were at DMV getting his, uh, getting his license. Uh, he had to run home real quick, uh, cook himself lunch before he went to work. I left, I went back to my office. I got a call that he was headed into the emergency room that he sliced his fingers uh, uh, with cutting a bagel. That's really what it was. So I did, I went to CBPH, met him there, and it was more than a slice. He basically cut off uh, three of his fingers. And uh, they, were, they were there, but they were, they were pretty nasty. Wow. They couldn't do anything at CVPH. Uh, well, I say they couldn't. They could contain it, but that was it. So they wanted to send him to a specialist. So from that night, we put him in an ambulance, and I followed the ambulance over to uh, to Boston. And uh, he was there. They reattached the fingers, uh, did some work on him. Uh, like I said, everything was everything was cut. Yeah. Uh, we spent two days over there uh, before we brought him back. We brought him back. They did they did prescribe some pain medication, and and like I said, I get a lot of pictures of it. It's just nasty looking right and uh, a, a lot of pain mm -hmm. uh, you know he had a lot of pain so even once it healed uh, there was times where we were going back and forth to Boston for follow-ups and uh, supposed to be no stitches in there he'd pull stitches out and uh, he'd say this is bothering me and uh, so there was a lot there a lot of pain and, and did he regain the use of his hand was it for the most to, for, the for the most, most part, part he had yeah. a little bit of uh, mobility issue with them, you know, they weren't, might not bend as much as they did, but he did have the feelings in that. So everything did come back, uh, but, a, a, but a tremendous amount of pain. So he constantly mm -hmm. talked about, and he wasn't one that complained about. As an athlete, I've seen twisted ankles, I've seen ankles that he shouldn't be playing on, and he's just like, I'll wrap it, Dad, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So the pain level was quite high. Alex. So for him to complain about it, he, it wasn't a, Dad, my finger hurts. It was like, I'm in some serious, exactly. serious it was, distress. It was something serious. So it, it was a constant complaint. And we did a lot of follow-ups in that. But the big thing was, is he was always on that, always on that pain medication. Uh, were they prescribing him oxy? Is that what it were. was? Or, yeah, yeah, they were. Right out of the gate. From right out of the gate. Right there and, and so. prescribed him. So I assume in the early days with pain meds, he was taking them as prescribed, doing what he was supposed to do. Like, you know, his hand hurt, so he was taking pain medication. Is that right? Correct. Did you look at other avenues back at that time? And this is kind of an off-the-wall comment. I don't think I've ever talked to you about it. At other avenues of pain meds, or were you at that point not, did you not have enough knowledge of it so you weren't worried about it? Doctors prescribe it, must be safe. I, My I kid's was fine. I was blind to it. I, yeah. no, absolutely not. I, I, didn't, I didn't take a take a second look, um, you know, I mean, when we talk about, when we talk about dependencies and that, it was something that I've never, you know, I had never experienced. Right. Um, the thought of this could actually lead to a dependency was the farthest, was the farthest thing from my mind. Yeah. Um, How long did you go through the, the stuff with the hand and him being prescribed opiates? Was it like six months, a year, a couple of years? Oh, a couple of years. Really? It was a couple of years. Wow. So, and it still wasn't, it still wasn't, wasn't right. So in the <clears throat> so somewhere along the way, <clears throat> excuse me. After he was, you know, just doing it for pain, I, I assume that he, uh, whether it's a decision or a choice or just happened, began to use them for more than just pain meds. Is that correct? When I when I look I look back at it, I mean, I, I never I never monitored, never count. I never thought I had to number one. Right. Uh, but I think with the way he was talking about the pain, as much pain as he had. I think it just became a natural thing. The more he took, mm -hmm. the more the pain went away. So I think he, he just naturally uh, naturally fed into a, 
He grew a, a larger prescription than what he tolerance. was actually exactly. He grew a right. tolerance for the pain meds and and my my I think it's interesting because my question is at, at no point the doctors along the way said so listen we should be talking about this. There was never a uh, no never a conversation at least to me. But Kyle was over the age of twenty one, so oh. I wanted. Uh, even though every time we went into a doctor, he said, you can talk to my dad about everything. Yep. And, and, and I freely talked, spoke with the doctor that never, you know, that never came up. But, you know, there might have been a discussion that he had with the doctor that was never relayed to me. I, 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 don't, I don't know that. So. so at some point, I'm assuming that the doctors decided that they were going to start weaning him off the pain meds or stop giving. I, this is the, at least the story as it typically goes is that they're on the oxy, you can get prescriptions, and then ultimately the doctor starts to realize that they're probably over prescribing or that he shouldn't have these anymore and starts to try to wean them off. And when the, your son is obviously addicted right. to them at that point, they have to look for other substances to do it. Is that kind of what, how That's it happened? That's exactly, exactly how it happened. So you have to come to a point where they did say, okay, we've had enough, we're going to try other avenues. And, and I think those other avenues weren't so much oxy, but was a different means of, uh, of painkillers. And for him, he never, like he, so I'm, I'm just trying to envision in his mind, he was going, okay, I'm doing something different, but this isn't giving me the same feeling that I got from oxy, so I need to figure out a way to get oxy. Correct. And probably if I'm reading between the lines, he started buying oxy on the street when he yes. could get it first before he switched to heroin or other opiates. Correct. Is that, is that yep. right? Yes. So just lead us down, <clears throat> down the path of kind of how that progressed into actual addiction and heroin addiction for him. Uh, it's it was it was actually pretty rapid. It wasn't something that was uh, you know all the all everything that I've done for research or read stories or that you kind of progress slowly into it. His seemed to be his seemed to be quite rapid. It was like a like a light switch. It was it was an overnight type thing. I I felt yeah. and uh, just it was a lot more. His behaviors had changed and and when I say rapid, we're talking within a month. I saw a huge wow. difference of. He wasn't Kyle. Right. He he just wasn't. He wasn't the boy that. that when was. you say he wasn't Kyle, Ed, can you pinpoint any? Uh, and you don't have to answer this. No, so it's okay. I, can you pinpoint anything that was a direct change? Like this is how he used to be, and this is what I saw. Is there like two or three things that were? First one, no motivation. He had complete lack of motivation. Um, Conversation-wise, he kind of retracted. He was very open, talked a lot. Yeah. Uh, stopped that, you know, would talk when spoken to, and pretty much that's about it. Uh, you with me anyway? Um, and probably the biggest one I noticed was just a constant, constant tired, just always, always falling asleep, getting yep. in the car, back out of the driveway, and by the time I'm the end of the driveway, he's out. I mean, so, so there were some things that just wasn't that wasn't him that I noticed. Those are from a kid that was an athlete, all of that stuff. Did you? Correct. Did you notice a, a pullback from friendships and stuff like that? Did he begin to isolate some from the people that he used to hang out with? Or he did. He, he went to select. He went to select friends. So it wasn't. He was. He had a graduating class uh, in seat in that. Uh, all those. All those ones. All the people that he graduated with are are very. Uh, they're well off now. They're doing. They're they're in great positions. They. Uh, you know. They have just just incredible careers. Yeah. Um, one of Kyle's. One of Kyle's regrets. From that, and maybe it was one of the reasons why he pulled back from these. Uh, all of his friends, uh, he wasn't where they had, at the level that they were at. So that was a concern of his, and that's something that he'd expressed to me a few times. And maybe that was the reason from from pulling back from them. It was more of a, uh, I don't want to say jealousy, but he yeah. felt that he didn't live up to what 
what everybody they else was doing. They had gone off to college. Many of them They'd had gone, off, gone to off to college and then kind of launched. And, uh, correct. And, and so I, 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 I can feel this. So right? yes. I can feel this experience that he must be having. You know, he didn't kind of go the same trajectory that his peer group went. He then suffered this huge injury. Correct. And, you know, and there are people that I think that first opiate that they take takes them to a completely different place. You know, and your uh, daughter, Betsy's daughter obviously, right. you know, is in recovery and, you know, battled opiate addiction and, and Betsy's responsible for that. But we Again, uh, he, I need to get that in that. at every podcast. Appreciate but that. it is sure. funny that one of the things that Bridget has said to me over time was that same kind of feeling. Like all of my friends kind of went on with their life and and I didn't. So I pulled away from them because I felt less than. And, you know, I, I think that's a profound point because there's so much pressure on kids and young adults today and with social media and everything it's so easy to see how that becomes a, a problem and I believe one of Kyle's best friends or his best friend is the DA's Andy Wiley's is. son is that correct, correct? Yep. who came home I think for the funeral and spoke yep. and you know we're probably gonna get to that so he was around good kids from yeah, good exactly. families he was you know he he like was living this life of a of a normal kid. Right. So in that month we get into this, you know, heavy addiction and and just, you know, I think at this point I'd really like to sit over here quietly and you walk us through that whole thing that happened up until the night that uh, that Kyle died because it's a pretty profound statement. So I give you the floor to kind of walk us through that whole th that what, whole next period of time. Once we once we started seeing that, we started seeing him. I, I started seeing him pull back. Um, Absent, when I say absent, uh, not accounting for his time. And it's not like I watched his time, but at the same time, uh, wasn't living with me. He was living on his own. But I, you know, I'd call him to dinner. Uh, you know, he'd come to dinner. Uh, yeah, I'll be there, Dad. And uh, you know, hour, two hours later, or, or something. So there was a lot of things that wasn't uh, that wasn't Kyle. Um, with that, uh, he was he was actually working for me. Uh, he went and worked for went and worked for somebody else. Um, when he worked for that, that particular person, uh, person's a good friend of mine called me and said, Kyle's been uh, taking some money from, uh, from the till. Um, so that was just some things that was not, that was not Kyle. He was a very, very honest person up to that point in time. Um, I started getting a little more, and again, I've never, I've never dealt with it. Uh, I've never had to deal with, uh, like with addiction. Like most parents, so, not So I, I just any... didn't. To be honest, I, I really and I and, and I say it when I, I speak. I, I did not I did not think it could happen to somebody. You know, I, I did everything I possibly could to give Kyle the best life, and I didn't understand why this was why this was taking place. Uh, you know, because now I'm dealing with some crime. I'm dealing with uh, uh, with addiction. I'm dealing with uh, uh, him lying, which is stuff that he did not he did not do, and, and I really didn't think. Which is soul crushing to a parent when you've had such a close relationship with exactly. your child growing up. You went from this really kind of magical upbringing to this place where you're completely without you're you're lost. You are. In a very short period of time, sure. that's Quickly. the other piece. It's not, you know, like you, I think that your statement is pretty profound. You know, for somebody like me, Ed, I was pretty screwed up from a young age. So by the time I got to actually change in my life, there was a lengthy period of time that my parents had gone through. For you, it is really quickly. You go from this it injury is. that they're taking care of to, you know, the kid's a full-blown addict, you know, stealing, exactly. to, you know, it, it, like crazy how quickly that, yep. you know, it devolves. From there, he ended up uh, he ended up losing his uh, his place of residence uh, apartment. 
Uh, so he took up uh, took up in a hotel, and that's what he was doing. Him and uh, two other guys were living out of a hotel on a daily basis, paying a daily fee to a hotel bill. Um, you know, and there's times where I tried to talk him out. You know, it's Kyle. I've got to, I've got a duplex. Come on home. We'll uh, you know we'll put you up there. We'll uh, uh, no. It was uh, he was pretty much settled in the the hotel. He knew at home I was going to monitor it a little. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, again, it was just, uh, I, I probably added to some of that, you know, Dad, I, we're going to get kicked out. I'd give him money to pay for the hotel instead of going in myself. Uh, I learned rather quickly that that stopped when he said he needed something. I went and got it for him versus giving him the money for it. But, <laughs> right. but I, I didn't right. know. You know I, I kind of <laughs> right. still, okay, right. that's, still my, that's still my baby. You know, at that time, that was my baby. I, yeah. Yeah. He needs the money. He's not going to lie to me. He needs the money so he can stay in the hotel. You know, I'd rather have him come home, but he's stubborn. He's not going to. I'll just give him the money. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, eventually, I did. I did convince him. You know what? It's time to. And he's like, uh, "Well, Dad, can uh, can one of my friends? He doesn't have a place to go." And uh, I said, "Yeah, well, he, he can come." And uh, I, I didn't really know the friend. I'd met him a few times, uh, but he was pretty hardcore into it, into it as well. Not that uh, same group of kids that Kyle was hanging not out with. The same from group graduating of kids, high correct. school. Yep. So I said, "Yeah." So uh, so we brought him. We brought him in the house and. Uh, Matter of a, uh, and it was funny because the social media was a big thing that was just was just taking off for me anyway. It was for many other people, but I kind of avoided it at all costs until that point in time. Uh, I signed on, and the first thing I signed on for was, uh, was wow, state police has a page. That's cool. I'll sign up for that so I can get their feeds. And uh, in a matter of a few weeks, I actually got. I came home one night and uh, pulled into the driveway. Was going to go in have my dinner. I take a look at social media. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, there's somebody that they're looking for to pass counterfeit money. And I look at the picture and I go, it's Kyle. So first thing I did is I, I didn't even call Kyle. I called, the, I called the state police barracks and I said, you know, and that was a tough one. You know, I kind of struggled with it for, yeah. not for long, but a few minutes. It was like, okay, if I call the state police and turn him in, am I going to ruin his life or he's never going to get a job? He's going, I, I got to, I have no choice. Um, trying to find a way to stop this. And then the, the second part of that was knowing what he was using I said, if he's in jail, I don't have to trace, I don't have to track him, I don't have to right. stay up at night, I don't have to follow he's him around. He's safe. So yeah. he's safe, and so yeah. it was kind of my thought process. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I called the state police, told them, uh, gave them all the information, uh, told them Kyle was working, that when he was off at eight o'clock, I'd go and I'd, I was the one that picked him up. Uh, Kyle had wrecked his car, um, coming from a concert in Boston a couple years, couple, about a year before that. Um, so he didn't have a car, so he was relying on relying on me for transportation. And um, when I when I called him, I said, you know, if I text him, I said, you need to call me. So he called me. He was going to get dad. Call you in a minute. I'm on break. Um, he did. He called me, and I said, asked him if there was anything he wanted to tell me. And he says, no, nah, it's nothing. I go, you sure nothing happened today, yesterday? He goes, no, nope, nothing happened. I go, well, why are you on the state police page as a person wanted for passing counterfeit money? And he told me the whole story. He said that he actually did a deal. Uh, somebody gave him counterfeit money, and he needed the money so he could he could pay who he had to pay. Right. Uh, and he tried to pass it off at a store, and uh, and he got caught. Um, so I said, well, what you're going to do is uh, you're going to call the police yourself. So he did. Uh, he called the police, told them. They said, come in the next day. I already knew what was going to happen. Um, so next morning, uh, off we went to the police state police barracks. Um, and they arrested him, brought him to county jail, and, and I knew that was going to happen. Uh, he was upset, so upset at me. Didn't say hated me, but I could kind of see it in his eyes that he did. Oh, yeah. um, and that was probably the toughest, one of the toughest days that I had. I mean, I walked out of there saying, "What did I do to my kid?" Uh, you know, I, I'm looking at a kid that we've done everything together, and now I feel like he hates me. He's never going to talk to me again. You know what? So what's not not 
funny about that story, but ironic is that, but his level of love and respect for you never wavered no. because he did what you asked him to do. When you said you need to call the state police, he did. So he did. even though he probably was mad and upset, yep. he, he knew like, you know, that dad may be my only ally. I better like do this. So, yeah. so I mean, it's, you so know. So it was, it was a nice, it was nice that you put it that way. It makes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so. it really, you know, whether he, whether he could voice that at the time or whatever, that's, you know, and I'm, I say that because I lived in Kyle's shoes on, on some level, so I get it. Like as much as I would get mad at my father or my family for not doing what I thought they should do, I did, I think, understand that they were doing it out of love for me, you know, and right. I, I think he probably got that. So what happened after the arrest? After the arrest, uh, I, I think next hardest part was uh, receiving the calls from knowing that I got a, I'm getting a phone call from an inmate at the county jail and have to accept the call, accept the call and having my son, um, which is a very, very tough boy, um, crying almost. You know, saying, Dad, I, I need to get out of here. Uh, so for me, my first thought was, is it the drug talking because he needs another fix? Um, what is it? Uh, I, I lied to him, and, and I, I, don't, I don't lie to my kids. And, and I did, I lied to him, and I said, I, I don't have the money to get you out right now, bud. And uh, I said, you gotta give, me a, gotta give me a week or so. And uh, that was tough to know my boy was sitting in jail, and uh, I, I could get him out. I had the power to get him out. and. Re I don't want to say refuse to. I just, I just had a tough time doing it. Did you safe there? I was right. going to say, did you do right. that at the time, Ed? Because purely it was, he's safer. That he has a better chance of living there than he does if I get him out on the on the street. It, is that really what the thought process is? It is because one of the issues, that, one wow. of the issues that I did, or not issues, one of the things that I did while he was at the, uh, while he was at the hotel was uh, there was many times that uh, with a girlfriend or something, I'd get a text that uh, she didn't know where he was. So as a parent, my first thought is, is he, is he OD'd, is he done? Uh, so there's many nights that was very sleepless for me that uh, at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, I was off in the car driving till four or five in the morning trying to find Kyle, trying to see if he was all right, if I could, and not, not calling him, not texting. I mean, when I say not calling or texting, very little, because I didn't want him to, to feel that I was doing that. Right. Uh, but I spent probably five, six nights a week um, with an hour or two of sleep only by driving just all driving over the around. city of Plattsburgh or wherever it was just to see if I could, well, if he's at this party, if I can see him, at least I know he's okay. Uh, if something happens, uh, at least I'm close by where I can, I can respond and I can do something. Um, so this meant, we did this for, uh, for about six months. Hey, Ed? Uh, yeah. It's exhausting, Very. isn't it? Because you're trying to maintain your life. You have, mm -hmm. you know, you have your other son and... Yes and younger, and your wife, and your job, and here you are carrying the burden of your son's addiction, trying to make sure, you're trying to keep your kid alive, and for, it, it feels, it, it must feel selfish to say, I just need some time, and to That's know it. that they're safe, and, and yet, and so I'm, I, I, I guess I'm feeling how, how the, the, the pain side of, I feel so guilty for leaving him there, but, I just need to sleep and I need to get my wits about me because for however many months you were just living, you were living this addiction with your kid. With him. I also know so you hard. ultimately bailed him out of jail though, right? You, I did. You, <laughs> yeah, it was, well, uh, heck I, yeah, yeah. I, I know you, what did it go for about I, a week, I think, if I heard I, your story? It was, yeah. it was a little over a week yeah. and uh, and again, I went every, every chance, every visible uh, visitation I was yeah. there with them. Uh, and it's tough to see your kid in, uh, you know, prison garb and, uh, 
basically, uh, you know, there, knowing that he's a great kid, what he's done has got him there. You know, it's his own fault, but also at the same time, you're seeing a kid that you never thought you would, you never thought you'd be in that place was probably the toughest, yep. the toughest thing. And on a personal level, which it, it doesn't anymore, but at the time, uh, during that time, and when Kyle first passed with his OD, um, I was embarrassed by it. It was very hard for me to talk about or to say that he's that he's done that, and uh, and it shouldn't have because I'm not embarrassed of my kids, but for right. some reason, yeah. I was quite embarrassed and had a tough time talking about it. Do you know Ed? And you know my father. It's funny the 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 first ten years that I was in recovery, and even the first few years that I worked for my father, he didn't like how public I was about my behaviors when I was using it in recovery because he was a little bit embarrassed by it. And I, I think he actually felt really bad about being kind of embarrassed by it. Like yes. it's this double-edged sword where, you, because you all, we all, I don't have kids, but you all think your son or your kids are, you know, perfect. They're yep. good kids. They're, and it, it's, it's, and it's funny that there's that dynamic that goes you, with you it. Do. You know, it's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, especially when you're, you're out in the public a lot, uh, like I am, it was very hard to, very hard to talk about once he had passed. Hey, Ed. Because I didn't want to say it was an OD. So you and I are in Rotary together. Yes. And I would say, when I first joined Rotary, I don't know, 12 years ago, and you'd sit and people would share about what's happening in their life. And so uh, somebody would raise their hand, my son just graduated from Notre Dame and they got a job with this. And my, I just had my grandchild and they're living in North Carolina, both have great jobs. And people would raise their hands and I'm thinking to myself, I don't belong with this group of people because I'm like- <laughs> My daughter's my, a drug my, addict. My daughter's a drug addict and she's made, she's made it 30 days in rehab and I'm so excited for her, but I'm mortified. Exactly. Right, exactly. did you feel that? It, like, it is, you know. Like, I don't belong here with these people because I, and, and not that, and I love my kids. So, yeah. I love them and I am proud, but I, I feel your, I feel your Two weight. Two weeks in and for us as a parent, it's a celebration. <laughs> it's like, we're not gonna stand up since it's been two weeks for my kids. So it, was, it was tough, that was a tough time. That was a tough time. That's great. The little victories really do <laughs> mean something when you're, you know, you're yeah, I'm sorry they were for huge. that. And, yeah. and I wanna comment just, you know, from that moment of carrying that shame, which we have carried, um, to be where you are here, kind of saying this this is what's happened and this is what it is. It, it allows others to come out of their own darkness because you carried that alone, you and Anne, your family carried that alone and that's just a really hard and lonely place to when be we, so. Very, when so we break you. this, and one of the things you and I have been adamant about together in this whole journey since Kyle died is this whole stigma piece. When we yep. knock the walls of stigma down, we are doing so much for society. Forget about Huge. anything else we are just doing, and, and yeah. you've been such an advocate for that. So did you feel at the time that you didn't have a lot of resources or anywhere to go, or did you go anywhere, or were you kind of just doing this alone? Like I was doing this alone, but I did reach out to quite a few places, and one of the things, things have changed drastically since Kyle, when I first learned that Kyle was had an addiction, uh, to now, I mean, things have changed a lot, but I can remember making phone calls and, and trying to get him someplace, and it was, it was an act of Congress to yeah. to get him. And, and the, problem, the problem with that, and, and you guys know this, but 
there, the window when somebody wants help is very small. Yes, it is. And when Kyle would come into work when he was working for me and say, Dad, I don't want to live this way, you know, my first thought was, okay, suicide, what are we talking here? I don't want to live this way, I want some help. Right. When he wanted to help, by the time I found something, it was already done. No, you know what, Dad, I got it, don't I'm worry about it. I'm feeling better now, so, I'm yeah. not in crisis, it's okay, Dad, so I don't just. The crisis had passed, and, and that's a very, very short window, and at the time, and again, I haven't reached out for, but I, I know from my research now, it's much better than what it used to be. Yep. I, I couldn't find anything mm -hmm. for him. Um, that was, when I say that was, that was, that I could afford, there was some things that were just outrageous. It's like, I, I can't, I don't have the resources to but put you, you there. At the time, were you reaching out to other people or you were just going directly to the, to the organizations to try to get a bed Nobody, for him? Nobody, all myself. Just so, and that's, you know, that of all the things that the, what, you, what you and Mike have both done in our community is that we've created, I think, a platform where people can, can you, you can talk to so many more people that can help be an advocate for getting people a bed when they I heard you them. say in your speech when you give you when you just tell the story you know without questions at the end you always say my, I think and I'm paraphrasing my goal is to make sure that no parent ever has to go through what I went through again and you know it, it like you you have that passion to say I did this alone I went through this I you know I made it through and it's awful and nobody should have to do it this way there has to be a better way to do this than to suffer the, the kind of way that you did so the most gut-wrenching part of your story for me and I'll ask you to tell it is the part about the the day and the you know couple days that happened when Kyle you know OD'd so tell you know go go ahead and walk us through what kind of it happened. was uh, it was a 2014 I said uh, or not 2014 2015 uh, Valentine's Day, um, called me up, wanted to uh, wanted to have a gift for his girl. Uh, said, hi, Dad, I don't have the money. I, I'm not giving you the money. We'll go buy something, but I'm not giving. Just my way of doing it. I didn't say it to him, but I'm saying it to myself. I said, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll go pick you up. We'll go, we're gonna get yourself, your girlfriend a gift. And, uh, so we did that, I picked him up, and we had probably the greatest conversation that we ever that we, that we ever had. And we've always been close, but he told me, everything that he was feeling, things that he was bothered with, um, who he was in love with, um, what that person meant to him, what I meant to him. So it was, it was a big day and we, we bought this and, I, and one of the things that I said to him, I said, Kyle, probably my biggest fear, um, and I actually wrote it in a letter the same day and gave it to him, I have that letter, because hmm. after he passed, it was in his special box. And I had the fear that, I said, my biggest fear is, is that I'm gonna get a call that you've OD'd and find out there's nothing I can do. And uh, his exact words were, don't worry, Dad, I, I, I've got this now, you know what, I've, I've really, you know, through this, through the ODs that has happened to me, uh, you know, through everything you've done for me, um, I, I wanna get better and uh, I, I'm gonna get better and I, and, and I can beat this. And, uh, you know, I've heard it before, yeah. but for some reason this time I was believing it. Uh, I, was, I was really, really believing it. And then, uh, like I said, four days later, we found out that wasn't the, you know, that wasn't the case. He, uh, he, uh, I dropped him off at, uh, at the Champlain Valley, he had, a, had an appointment. Right, he was going to so outpatient, he was going, to he was going outpatient, to outpatient and, treatment uh, or counseling, yep. So I dropped him off and I had, a, uh, I had a lodge meeting and so I'd already arranged for somebody to pick him up and it just didn't seem right when I dropped him off, you know. And one of the things that, that I've always been close with my boys, so it's always a love you, it's always a hug, it's always, 
when we leave. Um, even my, my 32 year old, I talked to him on the phone, he's in Florida right now, I talked to him last night, it ends up with love you dad, right. you know. Mm -hmm. So it's something that we do, so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, I said love you and uh, I, I sat there for a few minutes in the parking lot to see him go to the door and uh, I pulled away, I didn't watch him go in, but I see him go to the door. And uh, not saying I had to, but it's still it's an image on my mind that I don't, if I stayed, and he didn't go in, could I have changed the night? You know, so there's still some what ifs sure. you ask yourself. Um, so I went off to I went off to Lodge, and uh, in the middle of Lodge, I get a text from his uh, from his girlfriend that stated that uh, she was there to pick him up, and he wasn't there. And I said, Well, he's going through some tough times. We had a great conversation. Uh, he's, he's probably he's probably talking a little bit longer than what he what he normally would. And uh, she says, There's nobody here. She went to the door, uh, knocked on the door, rung the bell, whatever she did. Anyway, and she goes, There's nobody here. Uh, so a little bit of little bit of panics, uh, you know, set in for me. So uh, lodge meeting, it's a uh, it's a meeting. It's a lot. It's it's a masonic meeting. We don't have cell phones in the thing. Uh, I had mine down by the chair just so I could see. So meeting's over with, and I start to uh, start to text him. I'm like, Kyle, where are you? Uh, you know, are you okay? Uh, not able to. And he's he's not answering. Um, finally, he sends me one back, and, and uh, he sends one back and goes, Dad, this phone sucks. It died. I'm okay. Love you, and that was the last text that I ever received from him. Um, from there, uh, we uh, with the guys were talking, uh, chatting, uh, eating some uh, some cake, uh, pie, whatever it was for dessert. Uh, and uh, one of the guys goes, uh, "Wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on on my street." So he shows his pictures on his cell phone. The meeting's over with, so we have our cell phones now. Uh, we're using our cell phones and uh, shows some images, and it's just lit up like Christmas with all the emergency vehicles and, and that. And uh, I'm like, well, that's just down from the, the center. And uh, that's a place that I dropped them off before in that area. So fear set in immediately. So I just started calling and texting and excused myself and headed home. And then when I headed home, I called Dan and I said, uh, you know, I think there's, I'm in a suit, so I want to go home and change. I'm like, I think there's something, there's something wrong. Kyle's not answering. And uh, Tom showed me some pictures of a whole bunch of stuff that went on down by a down by a girl's place that, I, that we've dropped them off before at. And uh, she says, uh, well, I, haven't, I haven't heard anything. She, I go, well, I, I, I'm going to go looking for Kyle, like back to the old ways of doing things again. I'm going to spend the night driving around, seeing if I can find Kyle. So when I walk in, uh, I walk in and uh, Ann goes, I just got a text from somebody I don't know, not a text, but a message on Messenger that said, um, have something happened to Kyle, have Ed call and gave me the number. So I'd fear just instant, and I, I made the call, girl answers the phone crying, and just stated that uh, Kyle went there, she picked him up, Kyle went there. Um, she was in the shower, Kyle OD'd when she came out, he was uh, OD'd, uh, he was on the way to the hospital. And just when I, putting the pictures of everything that I saw from Tom's phone, the conversation, it was a big, it was, it was an instant scare. So. Uh, tie came off, suit jacket went off, but the rest stayed on. You know, I didn't even bother changing. And I said, Dan, I go, we got to go to, uh, we got to get to the hospital. And uh, walking out of the hospital, I had to call Neil, his brother, and his mom, that were in Oklahoma, and tell them that, uh, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't good. You probably should come home. I don't have details. I'll let you know when I get to the hospital. But without hesitating, you better start making. Um, so they did. So they were, so they worked on their end. Uh, I got to the hospital, and uh, like I said, there was uh, there was a number of uh, police vehicles outside, so I knew there was something that was uh, 
was big. We uh, they let us in. We went into the uh, we went into the waiting room where he was. Uh, they were working on him, and uh, when they were working on him, um, some of the police officers, uh, friends with quite a few of them, were chatting of what was of what happened. I personally thought when I looked at Kyle at that time that he was he was gone at that time. Uh, they said he wasn't, but uh, but I personally thought so. And one of the things that one of the things that stuck out the biggest was when I walked in. We actually had an ER doctor there that was attending to him that made the comment and uh, that said, uh, "Well, he was in here last week. It's no big deal." To that, and that I just I, I lost it. I was actually removed from that area mm-hmm. by a couple of my friends that are police officers, and we couldn't believe that that person actually actually said that. So that was that was a little bit of a frustrating thing. But they did take good care of him. I'm not going to say they didn't. They did what they had to do. They said they couldn't take a, to do anything there, that they had to send him over to Burlington. Um, so I made the call to his mom and, and brother and said, this is what's, you know, just fly into Burlington. You know, don't try coming to Plattsburgh. We're going, we're going to Burlington. Uh, so we did. So we, we followed him. We followed him over to the hospital in Burlington. Um, you know, they did everything they possibly could. Next morning, next morning they said uh, we got a team of a team of experts that come in. They work on brain activity in that. Um, they're going to start doing some tests. The downfall from that test is is whatever their determination is. That's what it is. So if they determine him that the, there is no brain activity and he's deceased, uh, he's he's deceased. And uh, I was a little concerned with that because he was still living according to what they said. I didn't think so. Was he on life support? He was on life support. Family, yeah, yeah, he was okay. on life support. Yeah. So we called, uh, had to call his mom and dad, his mom and brother again and just say, uh, you know, this is what they're doing. And uh, I said, you know, get here. So, you know, they're doing everything they could. They had to go through Dallas and uh, some other airports. So um, they went and they did the test and they came out. And I remember still sitting at the table and the doctor was, you know, we, there's no brain activity. He's deceased. We declared him deceased. So I had to make that second call to uh, to his mom and his brother and say, I, I didn't want it, but I didn't want to hide it either, uh, and just say, uh, he's deceased, you didn't make it back in time. Uh, you know, and I can't imagine being them, uh, you know, at least I was there with them, um, but having to travel back knowing your son is in that condition and there's nothing you can do uh, was rough. Uh, so so we made that decision and uh, I kept him on, uh, I kept him on life support for the rest of the day until the following morning. Um, they got in that evening and got to spend some time with them. Yeah. Um, we've called some family and friends to, uh, uh, you know, if they wanted to see him. To, uh, he was still on life support. You know, his chest was still moving. There was a lot yeah. of uh, there was a lot of things, and uh, so we called and uh, everybody that wanted to see him or could see him, uh, you know, got there, uh, got to see him one more time while he was still on. And then we uh, the next morning, I uh, I made the decision to pull the life support. And he, uh, he had passed at that time. They Probably the hardest decision you ever. It was had. a uh, it was a tough one, and, and and you know you still question whether or not you did the right thing. Um, I asked that everybody that saw him. The one thing that I wanted to do, I wanted to be the last person to see him mm-hmm. uh, before we pulled the life support. And uh, when I went in, uh, he actually had his. Uh, it was it was very strange. You know, I put my hand on his shoulder and was uh, was having a conversation, a well, one sided conversation, but it was a conversation right. with him. And while I was doing that, um, he took his hand, he actually took his hand and put it over on mine. Wow. And the doctors just stated that it was just normal, that it was just activity that wasn't, it wasn't in response to me touching him. Right. But I still wonder at this point in time, sure. 
was that a response? You know, Ann was in there with me when you saw this, and it was just one of those things. That, and who cares what the doctor said? If for you it was a response from him, that's all that so, matters. So it, like, it, it, it like, was, cares, you know. But you know? but I think you question afterwards. You know, sure. I made this decision, and yeah. I I'm, I've got my hand on his shoulder, and he actually takes his hand and puts it on me, and. Uh, should I not have done it? Should I? Should I have not? You know, and I, I still live with that. Yeah. I still live with that. You know, how um, much? You know, how much guilt do you you know live with today from that kind of stuff? Because it sounds as I've, I'm talking to you today, and I've heard you a lot of times, like, you know, dealing with your own stuff afterwards in the ensuing years had to just be as difficult as anything I can imagine going through. It is. There's. There's. I've learned to accept that. I. There's nothing that I could do. Yeah. I say I learned to accept. That I'm. I'm you work on accepting I, I, it. I, I'm working on it, but it, but there's some but there's some tough things there because there's some other things, uh, you know. That you know, it's kind of the armchair quarterback on a Monday morning. You sure. know, you sit there and say, well, they could have did this. They could. It's easy to look back and say you could have done some things. I think I did everything. You know, I, I've gone through this thousands of times in my head, and I think I've done everything I possibly could every step of the way to get him the help that he needed to save him. And it didn't work, but also at the same time, during that time that I'm talking, that I'm thinking that, there's times that I think I could have did more. Yeah. So I do carry, I do carry a little bit of that. Uh, you know, that guilt. I, as I sit there and I, I can, once again, I can feel virtually every emotion I think that I think you're feeling. I have to wonder if his reaching out to you is is his acceptance of that I'm in so much pain. And this is just, it's, it's, this has been, I mean, for all the pain that you went through, I think that every addict is in pain that we can't even conceive of. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And so, and it's a fight that, uh, that you know, not everybody can, I can, can you win. Know, you know, Ed, I can't speak on behalf of your son because I, I'm not him, but I can speak on behalf of it from being an addict, that the way that, the way that I felt when I was living out there, knowing how much my parents and my family loved me was a double-edged sword. I almost wish that my family didn't love me so I could be, it's such a crazy thing, but it's like, if they'd stop loving me, then I wouldn't feel so bad about being yep. such a piece of shit that I can't get my life together or do any. Like, it really is this crazy stuff that goes on in your head as the addict. Like, that's the, the point that I made about him, you know, when he made that call to the police. It's like, my God, I loved my, I loved my family so much, and I loved them so much even when I was using and had no... Like I just couldn't show them. It wasn't that I didn't want to. I just couldn't. Like it, yep. I just he just couldn't. You know what I mean? It, it's such a double-edged sword. But it's funny because he did. It. He shared that. He actually shared yeah. that with me. He goes, "It would be so much easier if you just leave me alone." Right. You know, and he did state that yeah. on, on February Like just disown me, Dad, and so, I'll be. And I'll, it'll be better. It'll you know, be better and. So, so yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you're saying because yeah. he, he did share that information with So me. in the ensuing years, obviously, after, you know, this was incredibly tough time for you and, and somewhere along the way you made this decision to say, okay, my son died, I got to get back to living and I got to make sure that this doesn't happen. And you've been such a staunch advocate. So, you know, walk me through what, you know, what kind of changed in your perspective and, you know, what happened in the next six months, year afterwards and those kinds of things. Actually, it was... Uh it was, it was the DA kept calling me saying, Ed, you really got to tell your story. And uh, again, there was a lot of embarrassment there. And, so uh, Andy had known about so all. So he did. He so knew yes. all about it. And did Andy's son, who was, 
who was Kyle's best friend, did he know all of what was going on with Kyle uh, too? A, a little bit, um, a little bit about it. Uh, Andy's son and, was Andy's, in college, I think, Andy's right? Son was out in, in California. Was out in LA, was out in LA yeah. and he actually came back and he did Kyle's eulogy. Um, you know, that was one of the things that, uh, you know, that he did and he did a phenomenal job. He really, really did. Um, for me, it was, I, I sat there thinking about all the pain that I'm in. I said, I'm somebody that involved in many of the things that I'm involved in is to, to help other people. And I'm like, this is something that is, hit me really, hit me really hard. I was kind of blinded by it. I was naive. And I said, if I can do, just do one thing, tell one person, help one person, I would feel, and, and maybe it was selfish because I was doing it to help me feel better as well. Um, and that's how I started. I just wanted to, I wanted to prevent a family from going through, from feeling what I felt, to be able to find other avenues for them to get help, to be able to remove some of that. Uh, my kid's not a monster. He's not a, not a druggie that's a piece of crap that doesn't belong. No, he's a, he's a great kid. And, and my perception of addicts and that was very much, very much like that was, you know what, no, then stop using, you know, you, yeah. you don't want to be an addict, stop using. Right. Nobody, and, and somebody said something to me that really changed that, and it was a thing that nobody woke up this morning saying, I want to be an addict. Yeah. And I don't remember who told me that, but whoever said that, that really stuck with me. And I'm like, you know what, he didn't, yeah, he chose to, to start. I'm not saying he didn't, I'm not making excuses. But once he reached a certain point, he had no control over that. Yeah. And I didn't realize that for, a, for the longest time. So for me, wanting to change, wanting to tell my story, wanting to help people in any way I can was for that reason because I now have a better understanding and I want that, I want that image, that thought. They're not bad people. Yeah. They just need a little help. And you know what? Some need a lot of help. Yep. Some probably won't get it. They're not doing it just to go against what you're asking don't have a lot of control over what's happening. Yeah, you've learned the, the valuable lesson that I've been preaching for years as an addict, which is that it, it explains my behavior, it doesn't excuse it. So in other words, you know, the, the things that I did, the things that Kyle did, the counterfeit money, those things are all things that we have to pay a price for. But you have to understand that Kyle, me, Bridget, we never did anything directly to try to harm people. We did things because we needed to get high. The addiction yep. becomes more powerful, and that means I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to be able to get high. And that's where the misunderstanding is a lot of times. Like people think, just like you did, Ed, people think that, well, he's choosing to do that, just stop. It's not that easy. No, if it was that not. easy, we all would do it. Like when I was sitting in my house by myself at 26 years old, wishing I were dead and thinking like how bad my life is, I wasn't going, but I want to keep doing this. I'm like, I want to stop. I tell yep. myself every morning when I get up, today's going to be different. Today's going to be different. And then an hour later, it's like, okay, but I need a drink or I need a drug to be able to make sure that today's going to be different. Like it's that kind yep. of stuff that goes on. So, it, you know, you had to learn it in an incredibly hard way, but you certainly learned it. So when you were going to help people, what'd you do? What'd you do to get started? Did you just say, okay, let me start calling people and see what I can do or... No, the first one was actually Spark. Asked Spark. Me, he asked me to tell the story, and uh, you know, I started going to Spark. I'd been there a, a little bit, and uh, uh, I just wanted—I was gathering more information, and then uh, from there, it developed into uh, I'm going to tell my story. And uh, I got to tell you, that was one of the toughest days 
you know, that I've, that I've ever had. And I'd like to say it gets easier on the story. It doesn't. I'm just able to put on that fake face right. that says it's okay. Uh, but it you is, mean the it, first time you told it was the hard part? Was the, the, hard, hardest, was the, was the hardest, hardest part? Because of it, uh, on, on a couple parts, number one, the story in itself, but because now it now exposes me to, sure. I've, I have a son that's died from, you know, from being an addict. I, I've, I've hid this for, for a year, you know, so it was, a, it was a tough, that was a tough day. Um, but the idea was, was that maybe I'd be able to help somebody and, uh, so did you start your, your, you know, start this process of trying to come out um, by, by getting involved in organizations that dealt with addiction to learn to, to, was it for your own kind of education and comfort and then it gave you kind of the strength or the confidence or the understanding that I need to share this? I gathered, I gathered a lot of information when Kyle was going to active addiction. Um, you know, I kept reaching out, seeing what, what I could do. So that, that helped me, that gave me my base. Um, but then the, the embarrassment of why he passed um, took a while for me to get out of. And, uh, and again, I started, like you said, I started hitting some of these places, started going to some of these places yeah. and, uh, and, and kind of hoping, I know it sounds bad, but hoping to hear the same story so I wasn't right. alone. Right. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't, so, uh, so it was tough because nobody was really, really telling the story. We'd hear bits and pieces, but not a story. So, so I wasn't sure how that story was going to go about. Whether that was going to, it was going to help anybody. Whether it was going to help me feel better uh, by talking about it. Uh, so I, I, I was kind of a, up in the air, not sure what I was going to get out of it. Not sure what anybody was going to get out of it. And uh, I'm scared. You know, I literally think I've heard you tell the whole story at least a half a dozen, maybe 10 times at different events. And your wife sits in the back and I sit in the back and we watch each other <laughs> because almost at that same moment, she'll look at me crying and uh, my eyes will be watering. And I'm like, Jesus, I've heard this story 10 times. Why do I still get affected by it? Like it shouldn't, you know, it should be okay. But I do want to comment funny. that Kyle's funeral was a defining moment for Bridget and I. Bridget had come from Maine where she had been just a couple of years in recovery and so I had lived so much of what you were and we were somewhat on this recovery journey albeit still pretty new and it was pretty delicate and and uh, and I think Bridget knew a lot more of what was going on with Kyle I didn't I was really kind of following your lead and you you were you had this kind of you this kind of strong and you know this was an accident and you know you had yep. you you had this really strong persona and, and Bridget was there um, she was part of that group with yep. Kyle she was in in that friend group and and you know we were at the funeral crying and 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 I looked at her and I'm like you know this could be us this this is our story we're you know and, mm -hmm. and for she and I I mean she she could, she she could feel you and Anne and your family, and then her peers and Kyle. She it it was a an incredibly powerful moment for us as a family going through um, this through kind of your eyes or your family's eyes. So I'm in I'm envisioning that the funeral was probably packed, oh, standing room only, people a, outside. Uh, it, oh. it was a very very large very oh, large yeah, funeral. A lot there. Um, I did the first. I did the first reading. Uh, I, I wanted to. I knew it was going to be a tough one, but I wanted to. 
and uh, just the eulogy, the whole, the whole Seton family, the whole uh, Masonic family, the Elks family, the the Rotary family. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many attachments that I have. Just everybody, everybody was there. This scouting family. I had people coming from Albany that came down to. Uh, Do you know why I bring that up? I, I bring that up because you know I've been to a fair number of young people funerals. And I always look at it and go, my God, look how loved this child was. Look how loved the family is. And then I go, shame on all of us for not understanding that we should be doing this long before we get to this place of a funeral. We become so self-absorbed and so into our own lives that, that we forget. It's like, we you know, we don't do enough. And, it, you know, of all the things that I think of is, you know, let's not show our love for people when it's their funeral. Let's show our love for those people long before we get to that point. Like there's, you know, it, it's so profound when I, when I see that. Um, what, what could we have done differently, Ed? Is there anything that society could have done differently for you? Is there anything that... I think what we're doing now is really the right direction. At the time, you would ask me six years ago when Kyle passed, there sure. was a lot that could have been done. Um, but now I think, uh, I think the biggest thing is, is that I see more and more people aren't afraid to talk about it. And that stigma really is a huge, because we still have, I still have some people uh, um, that I know well that are good friends that, that feel that an addict is the lowest form that they can, and they're not going to change that. You know, I'm not going to change that. Right. But what I, what I really need to do is we need to have more people understand that it's not, you know, I, I think what starts out as a choice really becomes a, a, a problem, you know, yep. and, and nobody, like Sickness. I said, whoever told me that, that one thing, that nobody woke up wanting to be an addict, right. that sticks with me. Nobody has. And, and it took me a long time for me to understand that because I was like, well, just stop using, you know, just stay away from those people. Uh, you know, abstinence, you know, stay clear. And, uh, you know, that's not, it's, it's not that easy. No kid when they're five years old is ever dreaming about being a drug addict sitting in a house by themselves no. with a needle in their arm. That's not the dream that you have. No, it's you dream not. about being a baseball star or, a, you know, whatever whatever it is, a musician, you know, whatever it is. You're 100% right about that. And, Ed, you know, if you don't remember who told you that, then I'm going to take credit for it. Oh, jeez. I'll be the guy that there told you, you that. So, I, you know, I'll take, I'll take credit for it. He, he might have been the one. He, he might have been the one. Who knows? I might have been the one. I'll take might credit have been for it. <laughs> it's possible. I do think that, you know, we think about the stigma again against the addict themselves. But there's as much about the stigma against the families, the, you know, there like, is. like and, and my kids around with me about how it's my fault that my kid is an addict, make no mistake, you know, he pokes at me about it because he knows that I'm so sensitive to it. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God, how did I screw up my kid's life so bad that I caused this? You, I mean, you know, we, we feel that and, and we feel, you called it the shame and, and really it is 100% that that it's not my kid's behavior, it's my own failings, right? I mean, or it's as much my kid's failings as it is my own, my own personal failings as a parent that, that you feel responsible for that. So the work that you're doing to make it safe for people to come forward and say, you're not alone, right? This is, you're just not alone. This is, you don't, and you don't have to carry this alone because if we all work together, we can make it better for others and we can, we can make it better sooner 
maybe we can make a difference. And, and so. you, you know, it's funny, Ed. I, I don't appoint, I'm not appointed as like the spokesperson for being in recovery. You're not appointed as the spokesperson for being, you know, a parent of a child that died of an overdose. Dina McCullough is not appointed of the parent of somebody, you know, who, a child who committed suicide. But somehow we've kind of found our way into these positions because we're willing to, you know, publicly speak about it. And realistically, we public, I think, Ed, we publicly speak about it because at our core, we really don't want people to go through this. I just I, exactly. Yeah. That's what the bottom line is. I don't want anybody to have to live the way that I lived for the years that I lived. Now, granted, I got the reprieve that Kyle didn't get, and, and I'm here, and I want to make my days count and all that, but what I went through to get here was an awful price. You know, the price you paid to get here was a horrific price that, you know, it's just a horrific price. And do you do you think what you're doing is, is helping people? Do you think you're having an impact on, on society? Do you think what we're doing uh, here with Spark is having an impact? I think 100%. The reason why is because I've had people come up to me that I don't even know and say thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I did a, uh, I, I spoke at, uh, over at CVPH um, one day and uh, after healing, and I had a lady come up that I've never met and said, listening to you and wherever she heard me, she said, listening to you, I put my daughter in in a facility in Florida. And and I forget at the time, but you know, she's now a year free or, or some, whatever it was. But you know, to me, and I've had numerous conversations, um, you know, about that, about some people that I've helped, you know, and I don't know these people, so what I thought, I wasn't sure what it was going to be, whether I was just doing it for myself to make myself feel better. Uh, you know, I was able to get the story out. It's now come to, I, I've heard from, from numerous people that says, uh, you're Kyle's dad, uh, you know. Yep. Sorry about that, but this has helped me. So there's a lot of positive that's, that's come from that. So for me, it feels that's probably the greatest thing. I don't, I don't want anybody to, to notice, that, to award me, right. I, I don't care about that. Yep. Just having that person come up and tell me, you know what, you saved my son, you saved my daughter, my grandchild, uh, you know, you've, you've opened my eyes to this. Uh, that to me is just the, uh, and I'm farthest thing from an expert. All I do is tell a story, a true story. It's not hard to, uh, it's not hard to tell. I just gotta, I just gotta live it. I usually bring my notes on I so I don't forget stuff. That's the big thing and it's only because uh, for myself when I tell the story I do, I get very emotional, I keep that face. Uh, even worse when I look at my wife and she's crying, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I do that just so I can just so I can keep a just so I can keep a place because every time I tell this story, uh, it does it, it hurts. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I know going into it, it's going to hurt. But also at the same time, I know I might get that one person that comes up and tells me I made a difference, and, and that to me is the most. Free. So a, co reward. a couple. Of, I, I think first off, there's enough of us that have heard your story. When we listen, if you forget something, we'll just remind <laughs> you from the background and say, "And you forgot that because we can probably tell the story." How's Neil doing? Neil is doing great. He did okay with. So, the, I mean, I'm sure there were some Neil, struggles for him. He still struggles. You know, yeah. I, uh, we, we all do. You know, there's days that uh, you know, and it's been six years, but there's days that I will, uh, I'll be sitting at my in my office, and then the tears will start pouring down, and. Uh, uh, you know, it can be anything, it can be songs. Um, for me, it was a little bit different because Kyle lived with me, so I saw him at home. He worked for me, so I saw him at work. So when death happened, I wasn't able to get away, so it's still a tough thing for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I still see a lot of things. Still live in the same house, work still in, the same, in the same, same house. Place, yeah. uh, so it's, so it's, it's a tough thing. Where other people are able to get away, they can go to work. Uh, I'm, I'm a workaholic, I like to work, and, yeah. and, and, and I'll go to, but I, 
Kyle's there. You right. Know, so you no, don't get away so, from so it. Don't you don't get away from it there. Um, but with that being said, I think we all we all have our days. I know Neil posted something the other night, listening to a song. You know, really miss you, little bro. Um, so so it, it, doing well, but also at the same time, it, it's one of those things that I don't think. I know they say that time heals. I'm not 100% convinced that's the uh, you know that's the truth when you lose somebody as close to uh, to you as that. I think what time does is it probably allows us to to live and function a little more normally, but I'm not sure. You know, I hate when people say, oh, put closure on these things or whatever. I'm not sure that that's ever the case. Right. I think you just, you, you, we just learn to function and live with it. And, and I'm not sure that we want to put closure on these no. things. I, I think that being able to, you know, you don't, you don't want to live in like morbid reflection all the time, no, but exactly. I think being able to talk about it with people is great. Like that's how you, that's how you don't live in this shadow of, you know, crying by myself or feeling bad, but like. You don't have to carry it alone. Right? That's the biggest yeah. healing piece for yeah. me is being able to talk about it. I, I, took, a, I took a tragedy, and that's never gonna change because that's what, that's what happened. But I took that tragedy and I'm able to save some other people or able to help some other people. And at the same time, like you said, I'm able to talk about it. I'm not keeping it in. So I think talking about it is yeah. probably the biggest piece that's, for me, that's, that's helped me heal. I think so. So what did Kyle want to be when he grew up, when he was younger? What, did, what would Kyle be today if, uh, if he were still with us, do you think? Kyle was, uh, one of the things that he loved to do, he loved to cook. I'm not saying that he, wanted, that he would be a cook, yeah. but he did have a dream. He did have a dream that he wanted to, uh, he wanted dad to finance it, but he wanted to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, of course he did. <laughs> Ed, my dad financed my whole life here. I mean, I, 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 I get that. And, you know, and, and it was, I always, I miss those conversations, you know. Right. Hey, dad, you know what? We could do this, and, you know, we could look for this. And uh, he, he wanted to cook, so he was looking yeah. at a, a, little, a little restaurant that was a, uh, was a specialty restaurant, and only one type thing, not one that had you know, that had steaks and, uh, you know, fra yeah, lobster, that. He wanted, he said, in one of his simplest, uh, one of his last conversations that we had of, of his dreams was uh, of a little place, uh, like a hot dog stand, but doing only meatballs, all different types of meatballs. And yep. he said, oh. just, a, just a specialty, meatballs only, you know. <laughs> I love we don't that. Do, we don't do burgers, we don't do hot dogs, we do just, uh, we I do just meatballs. And uh, <laughs> I, I hope that you never lose that story, and I hope that that memory sticks with you forever, because those are the cool things. And you know, I've heard your story so many times, and, and you know, you told it again today, but part of the reason why we do this is to be able to pick and probe and ask some questions for things that you wouldn't necessarily know. Like that piece about, we wanted to own a small restaurant that was a specialty thing is just cool. And, and uh, you know, I'm sad that I won't get to, you know, try that or, or right. we, you know, we don't get to see that. But um, any closing thoughts, anything you want people to know, anything you'd like to say to the hopefully thousands of people who watch our podcast. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing is, is there's hope from everybody, whether it being the person that's going through addiction uh, to the parent, there's help out there. You just gotta, you know, for me, I was trying to handle it myself and yeah. it, it's not the way to go. You have to, you have to reach out to so many people in this community. This is an awesome community that, uh, that really has rallied behind the people that, that are going through addiction. There's so much help out there, and it's just a matter of, of knowing where to look or asking somebody. You know, don't don't keep it in. Just just get it out there. Somebody will help you. Somebody will steer you. Not saying they're going to fix it because you got to do that on your own. 
but at least it can give you the right direction. So. We have done some great stuff in this community collectively. Yeah. Like they, we just have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds that have jumped in and said, we're all going to work on this. I remember when we opened MHAB and, and talking to you, you know, we did this in conjunction with 30 plus partner agencies. We, we, did, we, we even said publicly, we're not doing this alone. If you guys aren't helping us, we're not interested, but we just, you know, we'll be the facilitators and you guys help. And, you know, we opened the recovery center over there for which you were a part of, which I think has been a godsend for people that are in your position right now. They have this ability to just walk in and, and say, my son's struggling, what do I do? And somebody there goes, okay, here, sit down. We're going to give you all the pamphlets. We're going to give you all the stuff. We're going to, you know, we're going to help, help you. We're going to give you Ed Kirby's phone number so you can yeah. talk exactly. to a guy, who you know, a parent who lost a son. Like, you're 100% right. This community, when it comes to this particular issue, this community rocks, in my opinion, like no other it, one does. It, it does. We have a great group of people here. But I think, really I think the bright part of that is, is that this community is getting recognition in other communities because we're a community that cares, a community that's helping. Yeah. And when I read about other places springing up, wanting to be, wanting to be a Clinton County, wanting to be an MHAB, you know, it, it, it's happening. So it's, it's spreading and the word's getting out there. So we're making changes, so which the, is The changes cool are happening. And, and I think they're happening rather quickly versus uh, as slow as it was back when uh, when Kyle was back there. So. It happens at the hands of people like you that were brave enough to stand up stand publicly up. at the United Way and tell your story and at the hands of people like you, Ed, that have been brave enough to come forward and say this is what happened to us and we can do things better. And do you know, Betsy, I don't know any, I don't know how people think about me. And I mean, maybe they look at me and go, ah, he's a loser, what, who, who knows? But well, you I know, know what? I, I, I know you <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I, I think that when I stood up and told that story and let people know, and I think you could probably echo this, Ed, it empowered me. Like, I felt stronger. I felt like I was, like, it's okay. Like, it doesn't make me weak. It doesn't make me feeble. It doesn't, it, it no. like, made me be, like, it's okay to do this. Can I tell you something? Do you know that I remember that morning that um, that you came to the United Way breakfast and you were speaking, and, and you walked in and you looked at me and you go, I'm telling my story today. And I said, you're what? You go, I'm telling my story today. And I'm like, well, all righty then. Like, you know, it, and, and you had this, energy about you that day. I think I'd waffled too because yep. John had asked me and I was going to give more of just a kind of a professional speech and all that and I'd walk because I was like you Ed. I'm like geez I'm kind of a business person in this community I don't know if I want everybody, everybody to know, know that I was at the food pantry at some point yep. like I don't I'm not sure I want people to know and you know after I said it all of a sudden I was like wow I don't feel so it doesn't feel so bad to it, me. No. Like it, like uh, like it's okay. There's, like a, it, I, there's a big you know? weight that's lifted yeah. once yes. you tell that yeah, story. Yeah, that's a great way to other that, people yeah. that know what you've been through and what you have to say. I mean, you just—I I don't know. I just felt like you said that feeling was just so much scared as hell to do it. Yep, absolutely. But then yes. once it was done, it was like this is just this is great. I should have did this a long time ago. Well, I want to tell you, Ed, I was excited when we, you know, we have this kind of list of stuff and we meet and we talk about the people that we want to have here. And you obviously were on the list from the beginning. And I was excited last week when we decided that let's have Ed come thank in. You. It's time to have you come in. I thought you would be a great guest. And so I, I want to say thank you for coming. And well, I really do appreciate me. it. And, and uh, you know, there's help out there. If you're watching this and you're hearing this story, trust me when I tell you there's plenty of help out there. And and uh, I'm so thankful that people like you are involved in this uh, this movement that we have going on that, you know, hopefully is going to make this community better. And, and uh, 
if you watch this podcast and you have dry eyes for the whole thing, I, I think you need to check yourself and figure out what's wrong because I literally get teared up when you tell the story of that that day and those couple days with your family coming from Oklahoma. And it's I, I, it's hard not to um, when you hear that. And I think Betsy said it best that I, I, I almost feel it. Like I can't be in your shoes, but I can feel it. Like I can, I can feel the pain. So thank you for coming. That is our, do you have anything you want to add, closing words? We love you, Ed. We love you and your family and so grateful that you're part of this community for all the things that you've done and things that you never thought you could do. You, you and Kyle have made a difference in this community. So Not to mention that you, you and Ann come at Thanksgiving and you're like the best kitchen help <laughs> we MM. have at MM. My God, you're Helping like, the, we don't need anybody else. If we have Ed and Ann Kirby, we are covered. They're like just superstars. So don't quit coming on Thanksgiving. We need you. That's a, that's a great thing. You know, we, we, just, we just love to help, you know, and it's not just, it's not so just cool. me. I'm just a small piece of that puzzle that it's just everybody, you guys, doing what you're doing, you know. And, and I think keeping addiction front and center is really what we have to go. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing you know? at all. It, it's, it's, it's something hard that we, as can, it is. we can get through. We will yeah, never together. let this stop. So. We will, we, the, the, all of us that are involved will keep doing this. So thanks for coming. Hey. We're going to wrap up. Oh, are you going to do, you got to do Oh, what do sure. I got? I, I couldn't wear anything. So yes, I wear a new sweat. This, I couldn't do anything too caustic because this was a serious one. So yeah, this, was Ed, this one says, honor to Ed. This is kind of in COVID hell right now that we're living. So this one says, if you can read my invisibility cloak isn't working. If you can read this, this my invisibility my cloak isn't working. So this is designed to keep you COVID distance <laughs> from me. You're too damn close to me, Betsy. We're not socially distance. Ed's, Ed's, Ed's that love far God. Away. Why do I have to sit on this side? So I'm excited about this one. We think it was a great podcast, and yeah. uh, thank you all for watching. COVID out. COVID out. Thanks. Ed. We're good. No matter where you are in your recovery journey, or if you're supporting the recovery journey of a loved one, just know today is the first day of the rest of your life. Visit our website at mhab.org. And if you want to become an old timer in recovery, don't use and don't die. This has been Recovery Uncovered.